Chapter Eleven of Christie's Christmas by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. Christie as housekeeper. It was snow this time instead of rain. It came down in great lovely flakes, such as filled the baby's soul with satisfaction and kept him a silent watcher at the window for a longer time. I really believe than baby Tucker was ever known to be quiet before. They were alone, Christy and Carl and the baby. Father and Mother Tucker, with Nettie tucked in between them, had gone gaily off to town some two hours before and would get themselves caught in a snowstorm. Occasionally Christy worried over this as she looked up from her darning long enough to catch a glimpse of the great flakes which were rapidly turning every ugly thing into a lovely white. Nettie will catch cold, I'm just afraid she said, her voice full of a pretty motherly anxiety for the little Tucker. Now Carl, being a boy, could not be anxious about a person who was out in such a jolly snowstorm, so was just the one to comfort. Oh, no, he said cheerily. If the snow gets to be too much for her, mother will duck her under the buffalo robe in a twinkling. That robe is a splendid thing to keep the snow off, if it is about worn out. I say, Christy, I don't suppose it ever snowed faster than this in New York State. Do you believe it did? It may not have snowed faster, Christy declared, looking up from her darning with a critical eye. But the difference is, it keeps at it longer. Just think, all this lovely whiteness will be gone before tomorrow morning. Yes, and everything turned to slush said Carl, in a moment of disconsolateness. I shall have to drive to the depot through a mess of dirty pudding and milk. I tell you what it is, I should like to spend one winter where snow stayed. Wells Burton spent a winter in Maine once, said Christy, thus carried back to the events of that ever-memorable journey of hers, now two weeks in the distance. It required the merest nothing to take her back to the wonderful day and all its varied and beautiful, as well as troublesome, experiences. And then she lingered long, while Carl, an interested listener, asked ever and anon the most appreciative of questions. He said the snow was three feet deep at one place where he spent a month. Only think of it, Carl! He took a sleigh ride every day, and sometimes they had to leave the road because it was drifted all full of snow, and go into the fields where a track had been broken, and they would ride right over the tops of the fences. Mother has told us about that often, remarked Carl in a grave tone. Without knowing it, he was slightly jealous of this new storyteller whom he did not know at all, and whom Christy quoted as if he were an old friend. Oh, yes, I know, Christy said soothingly. Mother has had more wonderful sleigh rides than ever Wells Burton had, and more of them. Just think of the winter when she took one the third day of November and another on the third day of April, and could have taken them any time between. That was snow for you. But then it was a good while ago, and sometimes it seems to me as though the world was changed now and there wasn't so much snow as that anywhere. But Wells Burton was down there only last winter and had these rides. He has got back. Carl was whittling. 
he had brought some clean and delicate strips of board into the clean kitchen and established himself in the corner with a large sheet of brown paper to catch his whittlings and was prepared to take a holiday on this stormy afternoon and visit with christy he was trying to make a new-fashioned work-box for his mother with sliding compartments suited to the size of the articles to be stored within it was a very complicated piece of work for a boy with only his brains and a jackknife but carl had seen one at the corner store the other day and had studied it carefully thinking of several improvements while he stood there waiting for his sugar so now he was at it improvements and all it was a peculiarity of carl's that he was almost sure to think of improvements directly he looked at a bit of work he whittled away carefully just then having a delicate corner to turn and did not see the start with which christie dropped her darning nor the pleased look in her face as she said has he how do you know when did he come back did he speak to you carl i knew it this morning because i saw him at the depot going in for something that had been forgotten if they want a spool of thread they run into the city for it besides i knew it last night nick told me they came yesterday the sick young man did not like it in the city he was homesick so they just packed up and came though mrs burton sort of wanted to stay all winter and thought when she went in that she could coax the young man into liking it there's a queer thing for you a fellow to be homesick for this little puckered-up town when he could live in a city just as well as not i'll bet a cent that i should never cry to come back here if i had father and mother and all the folks worth having along with me christy what has that baby got in his mouth he'll choke i believe my patience said christy dropping her darning now in haste and springing to the rescue baby had intended to put the whole of a spool of silk into his small mouth and looked much inclined to resent it as christy dived after the silk why baby in indignation i'm astonished at you you would have choked to death besides that silk is to finish mrs bates's dress and you have gone and got it all wet however did it get left in the window i wonder get down baby and go and play with carl's whittlings that's a dear there's a pretty stick you can have too is he lame carl what the stick no it isn't lame but it is rather rough i'm afraid he will get splinters in his fingers here baby i'll find you a better one christy stopped to laugh you know i mean wells she said i thought he would have to go on crutches does he walk lame limps a little and can't walk far nick said but it wasn't a very bad sprain nick said the doctor said that the cold water bandages you put on were just the thing and that when you got ready to set up for a surgeon he would take you into partnership carl said christy her face aglow with delight did they truly think it did any good yes they truly did nick said just that i meant to have told you but this going to town of fathers and mothers put everything else out of my head carl did wells speak to you this morning no how should he i don't know him and more than likely he doesn't want to know me that is all nonsense 
Christy said, speaking with more earnestness than usual. He is just as nice and pleasant as he can be. And I don't believe you gave him a chance to speak to you, or he would have done it. You know what I told you about his saying that you never would speak? Carl whittled sturdily. That is all very well, he said at last. And you, being a girl, don't understand, of course. There isn't so much difference between the look of you, all dressed up as you were, taking a ride on the cars, and Wells Burton taking a ride in his everyday clothes. Of course he would be nice to you, especially when the first thing he did was to go and get into danger and let you save his life. But I'm another sort of fellow, I can tell you. My everyday clothes and his don't look any more alike than sunshine and mud. If you had seen us both this morning, you would have known what I mean. Clothes are not everything, Christy said, but she said it with a little sigh. She understood what Carl meant better than she liked to own. A swift glance at him, and a memory of the trim figure in his handsome, well-fitting suit, pointed the truth for her. No more they ain't, said Carl, with reckless indifference to grammar. But, for all that, a fellow feels better in clothes, I can tell you. See here, baby, shavings are not made to eat. I say, Christy, couldn't we get up a treat for their supper, baked potatoes or something? He did not mean for the shavings supper, as Christy very well understood. She looked up brightly at the suggestion, the little wave of trouble having already gone from her pleasant face. I guess so, she said. That would be nice. I mean, something would be nice. I don't think baked potatoes are much of a treat. I'll tell you what, Carl, we might have some cream toast. There is a loaf of bread that mother said this morning would make nice toast, and there is a cup of cream we can have, and cream is kind of scarce nowadays, you know. That would be a real treat. I'm agreed, said Carl. I'll toast the bread. I'm a master hand at that. That Sunday school book of mine is about a fellow who toasted bread for his sister, only he burnt his to a cinder, and that I shall not do. Maybe I would, though, if I had the same reason. It's a splendid story, Christy. They were awful poor, he and his sister, had no father and mother, nor anything but just themselves. She worked in a factory, and he was a newsboy, but he froze his feet and could hardly walk for most a month, and that made things harder for them. And they about starved and froze too. But one day the overseer of the factory gave the girls in his sister's room a holiday, let them come home at three o'clock, and gave them each a present. The owner of the factory did, you know, in honor of his son's coming of age. He gave them each a whole dollar and they celebrated, this girl and her brother did. Her name was Jenny, and his was Ben. They decided to have toast and eggs for supper. Wouldn't some eggs go good with our cream toast? Look out there, Christy, that baby is creeping too near the fire. What happened that made him burn the toast? asked Christy, as she set the baby at a respectful distance from the fire, and gave him a string of empty spools to play with. There was hardly anything that Christy liked better than a story. The reason she was not poring over that Sabbath school book at this moment was because she knew that the darning must be done, 
and that if she did not do it, her mother would have to in the evening. And the reason she did not coax Carl to read the book aloud was because she knew that the new-fashioned workbox was to be a surprise for his mother, and a whole afternoon with the mother away was a golden opportunity not to be lost for a trifle. So after all, I am glad to be able to tell you that there were things which Christy Tucker liked better than storybooks, and one was to do faithfully and cheerfully what she knew she ought to do. But all this did not hinder her from being deeply interested in the story that Carl was telling. He was not fond of telling stories. You never can get things as they were in the book, he would say, and they sound flat. Why, something tremendous happened. You see, the sister Jenny was grown up. She was most ten years older than Ben, and once there had been a young man who was to be married to her, but he went away to California, and she did not hear from him at all. And after two years she knew he was dead, and wore a black dress all the time, only Sundays, then she put on her white one for Ben's sake, to make him feel less lonesome, you know. Well, while the third slice of bread was toasting, they were each to have two slices because it was a holiday, there came a knock at the door, and Jenny opened it, and there stood a man who took her right in his arms and kissed her, and kissed her. And she screamed, and he cried and laughed, and Ben stared, and the toast burned up. Where had he been all the two years? demanded Christy, the spirit of the coming woman blazing in her eyes. I wouldn't have let him kiss me if he had stayed away all that time and left me alone. Oh, he had been sick, and robbed by a highwayman, and most killed, and I don't know what all had happened. He couldn't help it. And he was rich. He had found a place in the gold mine that nobody knew about, and it had lots of gold. They were married, he and Jenny, and they sent Ben to school, and he had no end of a good time, and all the toast and eggs he wanted. It is only in books that such things happen, said Christy, turning cynical, though there was a bit of wistfulness in her voice. Nobody ever comes knocking at our door with some wonderful news. I wish there would, but I don't expect it. I wish there would, too, and bring me an arithmetic, the kind they use at the school. Then maybe I could catch up with them. And now there was a wistful sound in Carl's voice. What a pity that some of the boys and girls whose cast-off arithmetics are lying useless on upper shelves could not have heard him. Christy considered the matter in grave silence. She wished very much for an arithmetic, and for several other things, but the winter was a hard one, and she saw no way to secure them. Occasionally she sighed over that reckless expenditure of money which had been made on going to Uncle Daniel's. That would have bought an arithmetic. She had offered to give up the journey, she was glad to remember that, but they had all insisted on her going, Carl as stoutly as any of the others, and even now she could not be sorry that she went. She did not get to Uncle Daniel's, it is true, but she lived a whole storybook in that one day, which would answer to read over all winter. It was a pleasant kitchen in which these two sat and worked. 
the floor was bright with hard rubbing, and gay with certain braided mats over which both Carl and Christy had worked faithfully for many an hour. The soft coal in the little cook-stove needed only the poke which Carl occasionally gave it, to break into a glow and a bustle. The little stove shone with a polish that Christy's own hands had given it, and reflected the play of the flames most brilliantly. There was an old-fashioned table standing against the wall, one of the kind whose leaves turned down. By and by it would do duty as a dining table. Now it was covered with a cloth made of pieces of bright wools. Crazy patchwork, Christy called it, and occasionally when Carl tried to help clear up the room and could not get the cloth on straight, he took refuge in the fact that it was crazy. There were three or four wooden chairs, shining with cleanliness. There was a large armchair, cushioned, for father, a cunning little high chair standing close beside it, with the very brightest and softest of cushions in it, that of course was baby's. There was a cunning little homemade couch, or settee as they called it, fashioned, the frame of it, by Carl, with his skillful jackknife and a hammer and nails, upholstered in unique style by Christie herself. And this was the exclusive property of the small lady, Nettie. Then there was the one extravagance of which this room could boast, a lovely little wicker rocking chair, which Mrs. Tucker declared fitted every crook in her tired back, and for which father and children had carefully saved, I should hardly like to tell you for how many months, lest you might think they were poor, and there are plenty of people poorer than they. This was about all the furniture that the neat room contained, save the baby's box of playthings and a torn picture book or two, laid carefully away on the mantelpiece. I hardly know what made it look so cheerful, save that there was an air of home about it, and the faces gathered within it were generally bright. Oh yes, there was an old-fashioned clock in the corner, which faithfully ticked the hours, and at which Christie looked every now and then. I wonder when we ought to begin getting our treat ready, she said. There is one bad thing about cream toast. It wants to be eaten as soon as it is ready. And there is one bad thing about folks, said Carl. They never come home when you think they will. Hello, have they come already? That man said, whoa, right out here. He shook the shavings from his clothes and hastened to the window. They can't have come yet, said practical Christie, for father was to see Mr. Marshall, and he couldn't see him until after four o'clock. Christie Tucker, it is the big depot wagon, and it has stopped here, and the man that helps load things is coming up our walk. What do you suppose he wants? End of chapter 11